This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we'll be speaking with Ada Lee. Ada is a real estate investor and developer in Chicago. I met her at a commercial real estate investing conference in Denver in February. She'll be sharing her story on how she got into real estate investing and how she got into the development world. We'll go over how to acquire lots and how to calculate the purchase price with actual numbers. We'll even go over the entire development process with accurate timelines from purchasing the lot to putting it on the market. I've learned so much from Ada, and I'm sure you will as well. Enjoy. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are and how you got into real estate. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ada Lee, and I was basically born into real estate. So my parents had a construction company back in the 80s, and I was always helping out because they're immigrants, and I was first generation born here in the States, and they needed a lot of help translating and navigating the business and bureaucratic side of, of the business, especially in the city of Chicago. Uh, so yeah, I, I've been working in construction with my family for quite some time, but I didn't officially join the company until uh, 2002. I started working for my dad full time, and that's where it took off. So been doing uh, construction and now real estate development, and as well as passive investing. Okay, very cool. So what is your current, I would say, main strategy for real estate investing? Uh, in terms of, well, I take a more active role in real estate investing. Uh, my husband tends to do all the passive investing, but I feel like my talents are, are in the active side. So in terms of investing strategy, I like to do construction and development. So I focus on areas that I'm familiar with. Uh, I always go into a neighborhood that I've either lived in or is close to the proximity of where I live. So I know the area, I know the schools, I know the streets, I know the neighborhood. Uh, and then knowing the demographics, especially because there's a lot of young families that are moving into uh, the South Side, which is where I focus, uh, buying land at a low price. So you have cushion for any you know market fluctuations or unexpected issues that arise. And I'll, I'll touch on that later on. But um, also, I tend to buy properties that are overlooked, uh, things that aren't a slam dunk for some of the more ex inexperienced developers. So we tend to look for things that might have a, a slight issue, like an easement issue or a, a side setback issue uh, or, or a piece of land that might not be as uh, the normal size. You know, in Chicago, land is always, usually uh, 25 by 125. And sometimes you get a piece of land that is at a discount because it's shorter or not as wide. Well, there are ways to work around it. Uh, I also leverage my network. I've been in the business and grew up in the city all these years. So I've developed uh, many good working relationships with, you know, uh, our local aldermen, um, my network of associates, brokers, lawyers, all my vendors, all my subcontractors, and, you know, due diligence. It's another strategy, believe it or not. Uh, some people go into uh, uh, buying a piece of land blindly, not doing their research and seeing if there's any issues with the land itself. Um, course, construction, staying within your budget. Cool. Uh, a lot of people just blow it out of the water, not realizing, you know, always stay within your budget. And uh, finally, pricing the home, the sale of the home correctly. 
And I, when I mean correctly, I mean a fair market value. Uh, a lot of people try to, especially contractors that are also developers, they, they pour a lot of money, sweat and tears into a project and they want to sell it what, at what they think is a good price uh, and not what the market price is or what the market can bear. So, uh, you know, uh, our strategy is try to sell the home within two weeks of listing. Okay, very cool. Yeah. So there is a lot of things you touched on there and we'll try to break yeah. down one at a time. Uh, let's go into how do you even acquire these properties? There have been a few projects where people come to us and they say, I'm trying to sell my land. Are you interested? Uh, listings as well. We work with, we work closely with a handful of local brokers who know that we're in the market to buy and that we can always close on the deal. So, you know, they reach out to us. Um, and recently we started doing mailers. We uh, go on, <laughs> this is pretty simple, but you can go to Google Maps and look at all the empty lots and uh, find out through the tax assessor, you know, who the property belongs to and send out a mailer. Can you go over like, what is your buying criteria when you say this is a property I'm willing to purchase? So we basically always back into the budget for the land cost. Others make the mistake of doing the opposite, which is buying the land first, uh, and then tacking on the hard costs and the soft costs, and then coming to a sales value. We always calculate a profit margin for the home and for the land. Uh, and that way that gives us cushion for any issues that might come up. Sure. If you don't, there's no room. There is literally no wiggle room for you. Can you go over like an example? I don't know what new homes sell for in Chicago and just kind of back away all the way to purchase price. Okay, sure, sure. Uh, so uh, let's see, last year, 2017 to 2018, uh, some of the average home sales were around mid 500s to the low 600s. That's 600, for new construction? For new construction. That's so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to California, it is. Uh, but. <laughs> All right. uh, so I, I can give you a case study of sure. the last property we developed and we sold last summer. So we did analysis of the comparables in the area, you know, uh, four bedroom, hardwood floors, brick building. You know, we, we had the comps and we conservatively estimated the sales price at around $525,000. And we knew that was conservative. We knew we were, you know, that was a lower sales price. But from that, we we knew what the hard costs would be for building, which is around 300,000. And then the soft costs for close, you know, brokerage fees, closing fees, taxes, et cetera, was around 42,000. Uh, and then we tacked on our profit margin, which was about 20% on the building costs. And that's a number that you can decide for yourself, but we think 10 to 20% uh, is a good profit margin because that'll cover you in case of a market correction you know, in the, in the year that you're working and building. So building costs mean you're 300,000, you want 20% of that. So. Right. Okay. Exactly. And then we tack on uh, another percentage, the profit on the land value, which a lot of people probably don't do, but we, you know, calculate that by saying, you know, we want 17% on just that land. So we, we multiply that to the land value, Okay. whatever that is. And then we come up with whatever's left. And in our case, the amount that was left, was 94,000 and that was what we budgeted, you know, for uh, whatever property we were looking at. And we ended up finding a, a property that a lot of people overlooked for 85,000. So we were well below our budget, I thought. <laughs> and that gave us plenty of cushion for any issues that might arise. And it did because it turns out that the seller had an easement with the city. The city had granted this uh, easement to uh, this nonprofit organization in the 1950s or 1915, I should say. Wow. 
And yes. So what they didn't realize is when they sold that land, they, lo they lost the right to that easement. And we had to pave in the back to make it an alley. So whoever bought the home could have use to it, uh, you know, could have use for it. They could put their garbage can in the back. The garbage truck, uh, you know, service would come and pick up their trash. So it, it would, it was a huge deal if we didn't get it, if we didn't pave it and, you know, uh, sell it back to the city, basically. I actually shouldn't even say sell it back to the city. We basically said we don't want it and gave it back to the city. Mm -hmm. So there were all these kind of, you know, red tape that we had to work around. So that's why we, they, I think they listed the land for a hundred and we said, we'll give you 85 for it. Do you want it? And they were like, yes. Okay. So your budget is 94 grand with or without a standing mm -hmm. structure. It's just, that's what you need to buy this lot. Right. This lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can you go back to that easement thing? I thought easements were like, here's an access to whoever needs the access to. And right. when they sold that property, they lost it and the government yes, needed it's it? it's weird. So this land, actually, this easement connected their property to our property. Oh. So it reached the other block on the other side of the street, mm -hmm. on the next street. So uh, they thought they could just sell the whole thing and you could we could put our garage on that easement facing you know the dead you know out of uh, the alley if that makes any sense if you could picture that mm -hmm. so they tried to sell us a piece of land that they didn't even have the rights to <laughs> but they didn't know that either so they had to search for the deed in it i mean try going through records to, to, you know back to 1915 yeah, it was, 100 years ago yeah so i think that's why there was some confusion but it, we we figured it out but it was a long process and we started working, I think, with the alderman, uh, with the seller, and, and with the city for almost a year, concurrently while we were constructing, because we were still given the permit, you know, we, uh, we still applied for the permit and got it in that time. And as we're building, we were trying to work through that. Okay, cool. So I wanted to ask you, back to acquisitions, how are you financing <laughs> your acquisitions? So we have a good working relationship with a, a local bank. My construction company has been banking with a local bank for about 25 years. And we approached the bank president. It's a small local bank. It's family owned. So they were more than willing to work with us. And they gave us great, you know, great rate. Oh, they gave us good points as well. Like it wasn't a full point. It was like five eighths or something. You know, they, they worked with us. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's how we got financing. And we still work with them. We also have a line of credit with them too. Just to cool. have that relationship is really helpful. So can you talk about kind of like the, how the structure works? So let's say, you know, 85 grand. How much of that do they lend out? And then the 300K build, how much of that do they lend out as well? Uh, so for the land value, we had to buy outright, which we already had the funds for. Okay. Uh, most banks, well, I shouldn't, actually, I shouldn't say any, I don't know how most banks <laughs> operate, Sean. Uh, but the 85 we had to come up with, which we had on our own, but the construction costs, I believe the loan to value ratio that they were willing to give out was almost like 75%. So if we had a $300,000 construction loan, uh, I mean, or a $300,000 estimated cost, we went above and beyond that value. Okay. We usually do one development a year. Okay. Yeah. We work with this one bank in particular. Okay. So, I mean, I feel like the fees are, are better. Mm -hmm. They just work with us well too. Sure. I mean, you become friends after friends. feeling with them for such a long time. Yeah, exactly. And they trust us and they know that we could finish a project and get it sold. Um, there is less of a liability with us. We're a known value or a known quantity right. with this bank. So usually for construction loans, you usually do the work and then you get reimbursed by the bank. Is that the same with your current situation? Yes. Um, in Illinois, that's how it's done. Okay. 
you have to do the work first and then get reimbursed. So we would do the work and then I would put a title draw in. Each title draw requires, you know, a fee as well. So don't forget that soft cost. That's right. But we broke it up in probably five or six payments. Yeah, that's how it, it's done here, at least. So you say you do one a year. That's just for yourself, right? Do you guys do work for other people as well? Yes, we do. We actually do. Uh, let's see. Last year, we did about two projects concurrently for clients that hire us, that hire the construction company. So we had two single family home builds um, and we actually had a mixed use as well, a mixed use building that we were doing. So it was actually three projects along with my development. We try to stagger it so they're not all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So three or four a year is about where your pace is at. Right. About okay. average. Yeah. Gotcha. So what would you say is your company's market advantage compared to other developers? Being a, a local builder, uh, being a woman owned business, you know, I just finally applied for, uh, through the city, I'm applying for a woman business enterprise and minority uh, business enterprise certification. I held out because I knew there was going to be a lot of paperwork and it was a backlog. And I was right. <laughs> I started the process back in July and I'm still, you know, waiting to hear back. Um, we did we did get to the interview part with the city. So um, fingers crossed that we'll, we'll get our certification soon. But some people think it's... Um, not appropriate for a woman to be in my line of work, but those aren't the people I'm going after. Sure. Uh, I, I think I think experience uh, means a lot to a lot of people. So you know, growing up in the business, being a family business, I think that goes a long way, what and is, having a good reputation too, because we've been around for so long. Yeah. What does a certification do for you? It actually opens us up to other projects that are, I think, government funded, and uh, there's a lot of government work. That needs, you know, minority representation and women business representation. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Is there something that you know that you think others should know? In construction and development, you know, when you start out, people say, oh, I I just, I want to buy this, I want to build this home, and then I want to sell it for a lot of money. Yeah, okay, everyone wants that. But you have to be hyper detailed and focused on, A, who your target market is. Are you going to build a high-end or a mid-range home? Also, you know, things that people always forget are the soft costs in construction. Mm. They always forget about, you know, the, the broker's commission. They forget about the taxes. They forget about uh, the utilities, the lawyer's fees. You know, some things that some people might not under might not know or realize, but when you're trying to develop a home, most of the value will be in the kitchen and the bathrooms. So all your bells and whistles should be in those places where, uh, frankly, most people spend their time, you know. Some other things uh, that we've learned is staging a home is invaluable. One of the first homes we built, it was just a vanilla box. It took a little longer to sell. Uh, Not that much longer. I would say maybe like three weeks. But now our averages are within 10 days we can sell our homes. Mm -hmm. But we found that spending that extra money really helped. A lot of homeowners, they're first-time buyers that we've encountered, and they can't envision what it would look like furnished. Uh, so staging a home is actually not only making it look pretty, but it's also selling a vision. You're selling them an idea of home ownership. I think one of the best advice that we've gotten and that we've learned and that we impart to other developers as well as people that are trying to sell their homes is the first two weeks your home is put on the market is the most crucial. Uh, that's when you get the most offerings, the most showings. After that two weeks, it means, and if you haven't gotten an offer, it usually means that your home is overpriced. So you have to lower your price uh, or go back to the drawing board. You know, there, that's why 
we set that we set that timeline on ourselves. We're like, it has to be sold in two weeks. And where do you see people fail the most? Good question. I see a lot of developers holding on to a home for far too long. Uh, there is a local developer here that they, they build beautiful homes, but he held on to his home for probably four months. And in that time, you're accruing all your interest payments and loan costs. I mean, there's all these soft costs that accrue when you hold on to it. You know, your closing costs, attorney's fees, broker commission, loan interest, uh, city and county fees. Give yourself enough time also to build. A lot of people set these really short timelines. They say, I want to get this done in three weeks or, you know, three months or whatever. Uh, this is not HGTV. Things don't happen overnight. There's always a lag time for inspections, for your rough-ins, uh, for some of your subcontractors to come out, especially when it's, you know, in the summer when it's a busy season. I mean, coordinating your subcontractors is a, is a juggling act. Mm -hmm. So I would say I see a lot of people fail by not giving themselves enough time for the construction portion of it. Can you go over who your team is? Like how many people do you have full-time and then what kind of work do you sub out? My team, uh, when we were at our highest capacity, was probably uh, 10 employees, including myself and my, my father. Um, and we were the foreman and project managers of these projects. And most of my um, in-house crew, you know, we do all the rough carpentry all the finished carpentry, the HVAC, some of the uh, electrical work, but we sub out things like excavating. We just don't have the resources to, to have those large equipments. Uh, we also sub out masonry. We sub out the plumbing and that's about it. I'm trying to think of any other trades that we, we sub out. So masonry is like bricks, right? Brick. Yes. There's still a lot it's of bricks brick. going on in Chicago. It's mainly brick. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. The Chicago fire. <laughs> Here in California, it's very rarely bricks. Only for chimneys. Have, yeah, you guys have earthquakes. Yeah, it'll crack uh, everywhere. Exactly, yeah. I, I guess it depends on your region, right? Mm, okay, very cool. Can you go over like the build process? Because you do the whole thing, right? From Yeah, yeah, we do, we do it from the ground up. So, yeah. okay, day one, you bought a lot with a crappy home on there. What do mm -hmm. you do? Uh, the first thing we do is uh, we get our architect involved he draws up the plans we apply for the permit quick question Once, does yeah. an architect can he just do the same house every single time yes yes we, uh, i wouldn't say every single time but yes uh the architect that we work with he knows uh the spec homes that we like so he usually has a, a plan ready and he just has to make a, a few refinements you know like where the position of the windows are and you know things like that but Usually uh, that's the easy part is the architectural drawings. Cool. And can you go over like kind of like time frames too? Like, okay, the architect takes like one week and then. Oh yeah. Yeah. You wish. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if he already has it. Uh, yeah, that's true. So the architect will uh, usually take probably uh, if he's fast, uh, I would say a month. If it's a, if it's something that he's drawing from scratch, but if it's a spec home, yeah, you're right. It could probably take two weeks for him to, tweak everything and, and to take measurements on the, of the land itself to make sure he has all the right setbacks. And then from there, we submit the drawings to the city. We has to go through the zoning department, and then it also has to go through the building department. That could take anywhere from, as an average, probably three months, 90 days. Once you get your permit, you can start. So uh, if all goes well, you get your demolition crew, an excavator out there. Usually it's the same company. Uh, a lot of these companies that do demolition work also do excavation work. They have all the equipment and the trucks. 
uh, that could take them. I've seen a building go down in one day, <laughs> especially if it's a a distressed like frame home. Sounds like uh, you fun. Know. Just like knock it down. <laughs> I have some cool videos. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, you know, if it's uh, a frame home, it could probably take a day or two for them to clear everything out. Excavation uh, and the foundation and footing probably takes about a week. They can work pretty fast. Excavators do that work, or is that your crew that does the foundation? The excavator. I okay. sub that out. Next is the brick. So my mason, my brick layer comes out, and it takes him maybe three days to do one level. And this is probably, I would say, a, a 45 by uh, 20 foot uh, you know, uh, outline. So he'll do one level, and then my crew comes in, and we do all the, the wood joists for the flooring. And that takes about, uh, my guys, probably three to four days. And then the bricklayer comes out again to do the second, their second story. And the, that takes also about three days for them. And then my guys come out again uh, for the second floor joists. And then uh, last but not least, they do their third course and then the roof goes on. Our last project, we were able to get our excavation and the shell of the building up in one month. Wow, nice. That's if everything goes right. Do you guys have basements in Chicago? <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. Yeah. So that's done with your foundation, right? With the ex- yeah, with the foundation. So they'll they'll do the the slab and the footing and and the the foundation walls. Okay, very cool. And then yeah. one month to frame it all up. How yes. long to do the rest of the interior work? All that that's where the fun begins because that, that'll take a, a longer period of time. The rough-ins can usually take anywhere from, and that's you know putting in your your partition walls and your insulation and all your ductwork and all your conduits and your plumbing, and then getting all the inspections. I would say that's another two to three months easily. So you guys get rough and final, right? Just those two? Yes, just okay. those two uh, stages of inspections from the city. Mm-hmm. And then it's the, all the finishing touches are, are what take forever. But you know, after you pass your rough and inspections, each of the building trades, so there's electrical, there is plumbing, there is uh, carpentry, but we call that new construction in our, in our trade here. And then there's uh, mechanical, HVAC. After all those rough-ins are passed, then you can put up your drywall. And then the drywall usually takes, you know, at least two weeks because you have to, you have to do, you know, almost uh, three passes, you know, at, at the taping, at the... Like texturing and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. It, yeah, it could take uh, up to, you know, two weeks depending on... Um, the temperature too, because if it's humid out, it takes a little longer for the co- the drywall compound to dry. So it takes a while for them, and they have to do three passes of taping and, and the compound. I see. Do you guys and the sanding? Yeah. Do you guys do like fine? What's it called? Fine texture or smooth walls? We do smooth walls. Okay, nice. Which is not very forgiving uh, when it comes to the the painting, because the painters always come in. Uh, it's usually my guys that do it, but. Um, they always complain that, you know, they're like the, the drywall guys didn't do a great job this time, you know? Yeah. Cause I guess if it's too smooth, it doesn't stick or what? It's not that it's like, you could see every imperfection oh. because we do smooth. We don't do textured. Textured is in our area, in our, in our neck of the woods. It doesn't seem to, uh, it seems to be dated. A lot of people don't like that here in, in Chicago. I don't think anyone does, but it's a way to <laughs> hide the imperfections. I know. And I've seen it in new constructions out in other states. I've seen uh, the popcorn textured wall thing. And I'm like, wow, I didn't Mm -hmm. think people are still doing that. Yeah, here we do like orange peel or whatever. Oh. 
Okay. Like you can't really tell from far away, but like close up. Mm. <laughs> but it is, it's to hide the imperfections. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there've been times when we had to go back and repaint a ceiling, repaint the walls because the sand, you know, the sanding wasn't done well um, on the drywall and it really shows up when you put a coat of paint on it. Okay. Got it. So then you get your final, you do your finishing touches, put on the market two weeks, sold. Yes. For only 600K for a new house. Exactly. For the bargain price of 600K. <laughs> and you get three floors and a basement. No, sorry. You get two floors. It's two floors above grade. Got it. Yeah. Basement and then two levels up. Yeah. Above grade. Okay. But this is like a nice area or is this kind of like... I would say that this is an up and coming area. It's okay. definitely becoming more gentrified. It's actually always been a, a little known secret. Um, without going into too much history about the neighborhood, it was always kind of the port of entry for a lot of immigrants. And a lot of uh, people have moved in and stayed over the years. There's a lot of you know second or third generation people still in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's held on to its land value even um, after the, the real estate bust because uh, most of the people, a lot of people here are homeowners. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of families that you know have two or three generations that live in a home here. A heavily immigrant population, but our area isn't isn't gentrified at all in terms of like, if you go to the link, I'm, I'm going to start naming neighborhoods in Chicago and you're sure. going to have no clue what I'm talking it's about. It's okay. It's a good reference. Yeah. Uh, so Chicago's like ritzier areas are like the Streeterville, um, Lincoln Park. Those are the homes that I'm building here in Bridgeport are going to sell for a million, you know, in those areas. Yeah. But that just goes to show the, the difference in land value. But I mean, $600,000 home is still expensive for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure in California, that's not the case. Definitely I mean, not what, the case. Yeah. What, what would an average empty lot sell in, in the Bay Area? <laughs> Depends where. Even within like a five mile radius, the prices can range very wildly. So in like 600000 you can probably get like the crappiest, crappiest house in San Jose. Like in East San Jose, the bad part of this place called San Jose. Like my house right here is already like 1.1. And this house is crappy too wow so yeah. you have to be a millionaire to be a homeowner is that what you're telling me <laughs> i think they said you need like 250 grand at least a year to qualify for these wow. houses my dad's a broker right and his clients mm -hmm. are usually like dual income googlers and mm -hmm. they make like mm -hmm. 400 grand a year and they're buying like 1.5 million dollar homes my, oh my, my flips are like 1.5 that's insane yeah that's insane it's insane yeah but i mean you have that in chicago but it depends on the neighborhood exactly yeah. Whereas here, it's like a common. <laughs> it's very common, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. I know you're in Chicago, but how can people get in contact with you in case they want to learn a little bit more? Um, if people have any questions or want to reach me, they could email me at ada at hardscrabble.investments. That's A-D-A -A at hardscrabble. I'll spell that. H-A-R-D-S-C-R-A-B-B-L-E dot investments. All right, great. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for teaching us so much about what goes into new construction. Thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. Thanks. Here are some of the key takeaways from speaking with Ada. You need to be very detailed when it comes to new development. Don't forget who your target market is, what kind of home are they buying, and don't forget about your soft costs. This is a very project management intensive field, and you need to make sure that everyone is doing their job on schedule. Otherwise, it can disrupt the entire flow. Your purchase price is everything. You need to back into your numbers and start from your final sales price all the way to your purchase price. 
So include your build costs, soft costs, and your profit to determine your final purchase price. Now this episode is a great reference for people who are interested in new development, even though there are some major differences between building in Chicago and California, especially when it comes to the purchase price and sale price numbers, and the fact that in California, we very rarely need masonry and our homes don't have basements. It's still a good resource to see what it takes to build a new home. And I hope you all learned a lot. Thanks, and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks, and have a great day.